Hi, I'm Nick Dacos from the Collingwood Football Club and this is Pie Hard. Looking at Collingwood today, it's hard to imagine that this was one of the toughest suburbs in Melbourne. I have a magpie tattooed in a certain spot. I wouldn't say it's the biggest magpie getting around. Out of control brawl outside a Collingwood pub. 60 years ago, it was lined with boot factories. As gritty, grotty suburbs in prime locations turned into trendy hotspots. Wong's had five bounces, nearly get another one. He's the smartest guy on the team. You don't have too many to pick from. You've got to go back to Billy Graham at the MCG for an American to dominate like this. The bubbles bursting three decades of grand final wobbles. I still can't believe it. I can. Oh. A weekend order by the club of 288,000 cans to be consumed. More comfortable in myself. It's as close as you'll get to greatness, you peanut. Shut up. Ah, hello everyone and welcome to a very festive episode of Pie Hard. Feels a bit odd to be here because I think we'd already closed the curtain on season 2021, but of course... We had to jump prematurely out of retirement with everything that's going on in the universe of Collingwood. Joining me, as always, uh, is Alex. Alex Watkins, welcome, welcome back. I missed you, Damo, and I missed Piehard. It's been, it feels like an eternity. So much has happened, and I've had my little fix of test cricket, which mm. to me is like, you know when you're doing a wine tasting, what do they call it when you, between tastings, you have like a... Spittoon. Yeah, that, but, you know, that's all we do on By Heart is spittoon. But you have, like, the water to cleanse the palate. Ah, yes, 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 the palate cleanser. Cricket is the palate cleanser for me. And then as soon as I've watched a bit of cricket, mm. I get that little bit of, you know, footy froth back. And mm. so it's a, it's fantastic to be here for the Christmas special. Well, it's good to um, throw a couple of logs on the fire, crack open the eggnog, mistletoe, the trees up, a bit of light snow outside it feels right for a bit of a a bit of a pie hard bit of a bit of a conversation and we do have we do have a pretty hefty one today to mm. um to run through lots going on heaps so we may as well jump straight in with our hard yes and hard no segment so alex i might throw over to you to kick off all right damo so let's start with the big dog did you or did you not see jeff brown's First video address to members. Was that the one where he was at the Grace Darling Hotel, or is this the is this a more recent one where he's um he's esconded in the Lexus Center on a piece of Eames furniture, eyes darting around trying to look for the camera? <laughs> yes, that's the <laughs> is one. Is that the one? Yeah. yeah, I did watch yeah. that. Pure pure cinematic awkwardness. Um, <laughs> he's in a kind of they've placed him in a wide shot um, <laughs> on mm. a armchair, leather armchair. Mm. Leather, perhaps, mm. if they're cutting costs because of COVID, but opposite Glenn Moriarty, who I love. Um, we haven't talked enough about Glenn Moriarty on this podcast. <laughs> he's the only, he's very charming. He's a natural mm. charm. He's the only good uh, mm. host. Compare. Compare mm. that um, mm. Collingwood's ever had. Now, I don't know why they've ever tried to go with anyone else. They went with that guy from um, Amazing, James Sherry. Remember that show Amazing where the kids had to go oh, through James the maze Sherry. and find the keys? Or was he the MCG one? He was all right. I didn't mind him. Is he the voice of the G? These, I think he, uh, he no. The voice of the G was some other kind of guy with his hat backwards, and then they also had. <laughs> at one point, they had the Big Brother guy. Terrible! I remember being in the bowels of the G in the nineties and getting in the lift with my mate during a Collingwood game, and the voice of the G got in the lift with us, and we're like, 
That's the voice of the chick. <laughs> did you get it? Did you get him to do it? Did you get it, was, to it, was, do a, it was a thunderous mm. kind of uh, voice which would echo around the, the stands, wasn't mm. it? I can't remember. You know what I like? You know what I really like about Glenn Moriarty? What? Salt and pepper? Cle- clearly, at one point in his life, he was a male model for Country Road. He just yeah. has that. You know, you can imagine him in some chinos with uh, a white linen shirt, mm. sort of by the water, you know, like helping push a boat out to sea yeah. for the for the spring-summer campaign that 2007, un- 2008. That's right. That unrealistic dad, hot dad kind of thing. Oh, yeah. Wearing like wool knit sweater. Yeah, a boat on a lake, um, salt mm. and pepper hair. Um, and mm. he's got a pleasing thickness about him. <laughs> his neck. His neck size. Yeah, he, <laughs> he may have played once. But, yeah, I, I do think I, mm. I'm glad you brought up Glenn Moriarty because I did note in that Jeff Brown, I'll let you get back to it because I think you were just about to, to kick it off. But I did note that he was sitting there very relaxed. He had the clipboard on his uh, knee but mm. didn't really refer to it. So reeks of professionalism. Mm. He'd done his homework. Uh, Jeff went off script a couple of times. Like he kept trying to wrap it up and then Jeff would just come back and say something <laughs> to the members. I think he did it like two or three times, Yeah, which extended this out beyond 10 minutes. And you um, know what else reeked of professionalism was, mm. and I couldn't tear my eyes away from the two empty water glasses and the water jug. Which <laughs> I didn't see that. Obviously, well, because of Props. the position of the camera, they're mm. at water glass level. Um, clearly, the water glasses were never going to be used. There's not really mm. an opportunity in that kind of video recording mm. to like stop pour from the jug they, mm. they could have at least filled the water glasses but anyway jeff i must say um i wanted to go into this with an open mind um mm. at times over the last 18 months we've been agents of change at pie Heart, um and at times we're defenders of tradition um it depends on our mood week to week but i didn't want to come in and try and tear shreds off um Jeff Brown, I want to give him the benefit of the doubt as the new uh, president-elect and just basically see what he has to say and see how it, uh, how it reverberated with me. Um, and I must say, and this is why this is a hard yes for me, uh, Brown Town, it was a bit between two ferns. We've said it's a bit awkward, empty glasses, um, Jeff <laughs> cutting off Glenn, you know, just, just kind of the manner of the thing was a little bit off. But the messaging mm. I was pleasantly pleased with. So... Just to run you through it quickly, these are my notes from mm. the address. He's basically mentioned straight off the top the Do Better report. And clearly that was something which, uh, you know, he's been briefed on or he, he understands innately that he has to grapple with rather mm. than ignore because mm. it was the downfall of, uh, you know, the president, Eddie, basically. Mm. And so mm. it would be foolish to ignore um, the cultural change and pressure that is on the club to address the do better report, so I thought there was good starting off with the elephant in the room. I think it's always it's it's a it's a good thing to do in those situations. That's right, elephant in the room. We're not talking about Glenn Moriarty, but I thought that big trunk, the big tr- the big yeah, won't go there. <laughs> he mentioned words to the effect of making Collingwood a destination club without using that phrase, but. We've been big on this in the past. I've certainly been frustrated with the fact that for many years now, I remember when free agency was ushered in, I thought that Collingwood was going to have this like golden period where because we've got the best facilities and we play on the big stage, that we were going to attract the best talent in the league and we're basically going to get free agents flooding in. And, you know, we're going to be kind of like the next 
rich Manchester United style club um, just crushing these small peon clubs. But it never really came to pass. And in fact, Collingwood for many years, I just don't think has been a destination club in any special sense. We haven't been able to land a big fish in terms of that power forward, which we've Mm. so desperately craved. Mm. So to hear Jeff Brown mention that, you know, we want to make Collingwood a place that players from around the league want to come and play at, I think is a salient point. Well, I was going to say what what I liked about that because I what I I picked up on that as well, but often those big grand statements of like being the biggest club in the land and all of that carries a a a degree of hubris, right? It's mm. like, you know, chess beating. What does that what does that even mean like? Does that mean yeah, we we attract better players, better sponsors and all of that? But I, he he did he did point out that by being the biggest, by growing membership, by pushing mm. membership over 100,000, basically what that does is that arms a guy like him mm. to bust open some doors at the top end of town, Yeah, get some conversations going. And if you know anything about Jeff Brown, he's known as the deal maker. Okay. He was the deal maker at Channel 9. Uh, he was the deal maker at the AFL during his time as a, a legendary lawyer. So he was basically saying... We need to get there because that will crack open, mm. you know, conversations that will in turn strengthen and um, and assist and support our club. So it's not just, hey, we want to be the best in the league. We want to be the best in the league. We want to be the biggest in the league because we need to be having those conversations at the top end of town. And that involves politics. I remember Eddie Maguire once saying, you know, someone asked him what, what you look for in the president of a, of a football club. And he basically said it was all about relationships. If you have relationships with... Um, governments, then you can get grants and you can um, upgrade your facilities and, you know, you can attract sponsors, you can attract business, you can get those celebrities who come to town to come in. That's PR. All of these things are basically come back to 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 the relationships you have with with the key the key people in in the country. So interesting, you mentioned politics, demo, because my macro point on this Jeff Brown interview is is very political. It's shades of Eddie's power and, and soft power and the control that he would exert, which you just mm. mentioned through his political, you know, connections. And I'll just bring you back to what Brown said in the interview. Quote, mm. there's a new Collingwood now and we're going to build some huge momentum here and no one's going to be in any doubt that we've been around. And on the field and off the field, we're going to exert our influence as we should as the most powerful club in the AFL. So here we are. This is yeah. a return to the big dog, Collingwood. The halcyon days. You know what? That makes me feel safe. Well, time will ultimately tell. I think it's fair to say we're, we're behind Jeff and his team and his board as they, uh, as they navigate the next, um, the next period of growth for this amazing mm. and uh, hugely important institution in the um, Australian sporting and, and business landscape. So good luck, Jeff. We're here for you. I think if we're talking about elephants in the room, mm. there's probably uh, there's go probably, with, go probably one that's ones. a little bit bigger than the um, than the Do Better report at the moment. So I want to hear your hard no. Big ticket issues up front, I like it. Well, when we heard that Jordan Dugowie was um, going on a um, training camp, care of his personal <laughs> sponsor, Monster Energy Drink, mm. um, you know, I wouldn't say alarm bells, but you think okay. <laughs> Eyebrows were raised. Yeah, how's this going to (laughs) end? Then we saw updates of this, um, you know, so-called training camp, and he's um, decided that he needs a motorbike to get to training, the training facility. 
<laughs> in the mornings. And I'm like, okay, interesting. And on the WhatsApp group, we had some quips around mm. how he's spending his weekends at Vegas. <laughs> in I mean, Vegas, yeah, I remember that. It didn't take a lot <laughs> of nous or prescience to predict that Jordan might find himself in a pickle at some stage <laughs> this summer on his monster sojourn. And <laughs> lo and behold, um, he has found himself in a pickle. <laughs> this was meant to be the penny drop summer, right, mm. for JDG. This was mm. the summer where he goes from, like, loose, hard to control, bad boy. He starts to iron out those things. He comes back. He's suddenly kind of a, mod, a model citizen, uh, great teammate, committed to the professionalism required to achieve at the elite level and mm. achieve his enormous potential. This was the penny drop summer. Um, mm. And it just has not worked out that way at all. Just the, the, the boldness and brashness not to wear a tie. Mm. In the uh, in the, the video conference, was it was it actually the um, court appearance? It was a court Zoom. appearance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was like an American flag, I think, in the background. Yeah, it was that. It was that grainy shot of 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 him kind of looking like really, really arrogant, almost. You know. Yeah, he's got a and a. I think what might have happened, like reading between the lines, is he has obviously gone down the line of like basically denying wrongdoing, mm. and so he's mm. got that like defiant stance when it comes to this case mm. and i believe that i have heard i have heard through sources that insiders at the club believe that you know the evidence via cctv may well vindicate jordan in terms of perhaps his role in the altercation wasn't as heinous as as was made out and we already know that the sexual nature of the charge was dropped so now it's just an assault charge which you know which is part of the course, JDG. Yeah, it's an it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because I think <clears throat> the our line, and I think the line of Brown in his in his first conference with Moriarty was along the lines of we don't have all the mm. we don't have all the pieces. So until we do, we're going to reserve judgment. And I think you know if you looked at social media when that story broke, I think it, there'd be a few people walking back their their statements with just just with regards to how the legal process needs to play out. But for me, it's got nothing to do with that. That's that's completely separate. It's like how many chances has the guy had? Um, the trust, you know, that the club has given him and supported him, and it just sort of like it's just that repetition. It's like you know of that type of behavior. It's just it gets boring. Like I just I, I was just I'm just bored of it. Like it's not even funny anymore. Like it's not like, you know, it's mm. not like his second or third fracas where it's like, uh, you know, boys will be boys or Dagoe will be Dagoe. I'm just kind of over it. I'm just so sick of talking about it. I'm just sick of seeing it. So I think the key thing with this is regardless of what what happens with the the club club's decision or or the court case it's like he's just well and truly fucked himself here because the way i see it two things can happen right he gets off he returns to the club and his value is just is just blown up right to smithereens not in a good way not blown up but like you know any hopes of collingwood paying him over a mil for his services regardless of the year he has like there's just you know the the club doesn't need to do that Based on based on his past performance, so that's the one thing. So there's the, there's a value aspect to that, and not overpaying. The second thing is if he goes, that's not good enough, and I want to leave. Well, then in terms of our age profile and where we sit, and the emergence of all these kids that we've we've we're investing in, then it might not be the the worst time for someone with his value to leave the club. 
And I know that value has been eroded, but to get an early draft pick next year or, or whatever comes of that through either free agency or a trade, mm. I think well, either way, I, I see the club winning if if you if you see it. So he stays, but you know he can't command any more than what he's on really because of his um, indiscretions. See, I think or we've he, got shorter or he goes, memories. Or he goes, and we get we get something in return. I reckon we've got shorter memories than that. Like I think that. What we need, what we crave in Australian society, is for people to to, to take their comeuppance, accept culpability. Mm. You know, this is the whole thing that James Heard never worked out. You have mm. to accept that you know you might have slipped up. Um, and I think we forgive and forget. I mean, you just got to look at like Steve Wank. Smith. Yeah, well, Tim, I'm not sure we're going to forgive that rat, but. Um, no, but did you see just on that though? That, did you see when Steve Smith ran out? I think it was you know captaining the the um, the applause he got from the Adelaide Oval crowd. Was, oh, hang on, who did you say? Steve Smith. Steve Smith. I thought you said Steve. Tim Smith, like the MP who. Kim <laughs> Smith. Dude, we're really we're really losing our fan base now. We need to we need to bring it back. We need Let's to get it away it from right politics, back. guys. We need to start talking about Peter Dacos again. Um, what were we saying? Short memories. You know, you got you just got to look at like Wayne Carey. Like he's one of the. The, the the head broadcast like commentators, and mm. I don't have to go through his like rap sheet, but I think with Dagoe, like I I can see a world as you say in which his value is plummeted, but also I think that if he he if he just gets off on like minor fracas fracas fracas, mm. um, there's no sexual nature to because that would have been really the key element that would have been really damning especially that in the was, current kind of global sunken. context. Mm. So that's gone away. So if it's just a matter of like a fight, then I think that we do forgive and forget, and especially when he has a good season. I mean, it's the Malthouse pragmatism again. Dugowie kicks 50 goals uh, or 30 goals in dominant midfield. I, I, I agree to an extent, but I, the, the different thing for me is the, the footage doesn't help. So you know that, you know, the Instagram footage of the, those guys, him and his friend, you know, in the hotel lobby, descending in their bathrobes, mm. you know, and then in the club, like fuck me, man. If I if I saw guys like that in a club, I'd gone out of there. Like they're just. But it was a Halloween party, so everyone <laughs> was dressed up. Their, their 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 costume was just lame. It was a terrible costume. You should probably sit out the year for the costume alone <laughs> and the lack of effort and energy that went into it, but. I just mean like, you know, when it's happened in the past with Swan and when it's happened with Ben Johnson, friend of the pod, Tarrant, you, you know, there's you don't have that added context of them being dickheads. So, yes, the memory is, mm. oh, yeah, they got in a fight. And I've been in situations where, I've, you know, that could have happened to me. And so I think that's, to me, the difference is that you actually have that added context of those guys acting like, you know, clowns mm. that you then put together with the, oh, okay, because if it's like, okay, he was in a fight, but, you know, someone was stealing his drinks and it's like, you know, the the CCTV will show that, you know, he was just, you know, he wasn't the aggressor or whatever, whatever comes out Provoked. of it. Provoked. He was still being a dickhead, right, on this monster energy fueled US global fitness tour. Yeah. So like history- it, it just paint, it paints a picture that is, I think, less forgivable. And will stick in the mind of, of Collingwood supporters. Look, being a dickhead's not. If, if being a dickhead was a crime, then every AFL player every off season would be rubbed out for six matches because that's essentially like the modus operandi of AFL players 
in the off-season except for Brody Grundy who goes to the Himalayas. So they go overseas, they ingest substances, including too much alcohol. Um, they get in little pickles, but most of it doesn't get reported. Like we usually sweep it under the, the carpet. And a I love, I love that you, I love that you, I love that you're calling it a pickle. That's <laughs> so good. It's very well, American too. It comes mm. back to what a, a new segment I was going to introduce because God knows we don't have enough segments on this podcast called "Hey Dad." Not uh, not to be confused with the oh, that no. sitcom about oh, pedophile no, not, dad. No, we but don't talk about that. All right, so "Hey Dad" is where we ask. Um, one or both of our fathers for their opinion. And we want a really short um, answer, one sentence answer, because there was a time when we asked your dad, Wayne, mm. I think something around the salary cap. And I just, uh, it always stays in my memory. The brevity, the succinct, like harshness of his reply mm. was so perfect. And like, here we are, we ramble for 90 minutes on this podcast about absolutely nothing. And sometimes you just get that older generation and they just sum it up. So I asked my dad on this occasion, what, what do you think of the Dugowie situation? And he said, players are allowed to get in a couple of fights in the off-season. <laughs> <laughs> was that it? That's it. And I thought okay. that was like, mm. we tend to get so invested in these stories that if you zoom out a little bit, players have been getting in pickles in the off-season mm. for many, many years now. Granted, Jordan has had a couple too many. Mm. But I think that what ends up happening is... Well, one, one was his dog, so that doesn't count. That's right. It was the Frisbee's fault. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, look, a couple of fights. I think we're going to forget. I think we're going to forget. Do you get to – so, so, based on your dad's approach, so a couple of fights, an off-season, mm. if you don't use those fights, do they bank up like, you know, like a prepaid phone <laughs> data usage? Do you get – so, oh, next season you might get four? You Does should it work have like seen Tark and Lockyer in his penultimate season. He, he, <laughs> he had 60 fights. <laughs> 32 gigabytes. <laughs> 32 went, gigabytes worth of fights. Went man. down to St Kilda Festival and just let loose. Is it like speeding fines where you can, you can, you know, Brody Grundy could potentially dole out one to Jordan? I don't know. It's interesting. It's interesting we speak of Brody Grundy because he came out and I found this really mm, that's fascinating. Right. And look, we've been a little bit critical of Brody Grundy at, at times just with his, his commitment um, to the football club. Which McRae's ironing uh, out. Which, I, which is uh, hip and shoulder here and there. He's going to sort him out. So, but... I was it. It was pleasing to kind of come and see him, you know, in that press conference. That upon his return, I think he mentioned he'd dropped a couple of kilos to get himself back into, I guess, a winning shape mm. uh, to dominate the league. Was a little bit too too heavy last year, which always pleasing to see a player come back. You know, having worked on something in the off season, they're, they're always too heavy or too light, aren't they? By a couple they of always are. no one's no one's no one's perfect. But to hear him come back and say. He supported the club in the situation with Jordan. Jordan is a professional athlete. I think he mentioned his age. I don't know how is he twenty six or twenty eight. I don't know. And said basically, basically, was saying, look, Jordan, Jordan's had opportunities and he's had chances, and mm. you know he needs to realize that you know he can't be putting himself in those situations. And I think you know for, normally for a player, I think Pendlebury came out and was like, we're supporting Jordy. I've been in touch yeah. with him. You know, we're going to welcome him back. This is the captain of the football club, right? So have Brody Grundy come out and basically support the opposite. Um, I think that's regardless of what you think about those comments, whether you think he should have said that or not. That's what we call in this industry leadership. That's when you're not afraid to stand up and express an opinion, rightly or wrongly, about standards of a football club, and that just showed showed a little bit of a, I don't know, something. So there was something to like about that for me. I agree. It was surprising that Brody came out and. Fly McRae, 
and Pendlebury and everyone else, even Jeff Brown, have kind of couched their comment in, look, we're going to continue to support him. He's going to get, going to get paid the welfare of the individual. So all this kind of lingo around like we're basically in his corner. We just mm. need the legal side of it to be worked out. And Grundy's gone the other way, and I do wonder how that synergy is going to work when Geordie comes back to training from Leopold, where he's been staying fit down on the Bellarine, if he does come back. Um, yeah, we'll, time will tell. We come on in this loop, John B. All right, I'm going to go quickly into my hard yes. We've got a couple of hard yeses and a couple of hard no's because there has been a, 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 a fair chunk of change between our last podcast. I'm sure everyone has seen this news, but uh, Collingwood has welcomed a new major premier partner to the football club mm. uh, in the form of the Colonel Kentucky Fried Chicken. Now, this was announced a month ago. Um, so... My understanding is that KFC will appear on the back of our home jumpers and on the front of our way jumpers. It's a four-year deal. Okay. They didn't talk about the they didn't talk about the um the value, but it's a significant one as a premier partner. So they join Emirates, they join Nike, they join Latrobe Financial. I think that's it. As a major premier partner. And interestingly, across all um departments of the football club, oh sorry, the Collingwood club. So yeah, I think it's I think it's netball, women's program, netball, potentially wheelchair as well. So a very big deal. We don't often announce major sponsors at, at Collingwood. They tend to stick around for a while. I mean, why would you leave unless you you're you're forced to leave? So a very interesting announcement. And I've got to say, my hard yes is the KFC appointment. I welcome it with open arms, and I welcome it because. Jeff Brown is talking about a return to being a powerhouse club. Mm. Now, KFC globally is ranked 93 in the world's biggest and most important global brands. So Top this 100. is a brand, yeah, 93 actually, between I think it's Gucci and Prada. No, S- Tiffany and Co. and Prada. Sandwiched. So, sa- sandwich between. <laughs> <laughs> like a like a luxury zinger burger, <laughs> but the value of that brand is hugely significant. And I think coming out of COVID, the situation. I'm not sure what if you thought I'd go in a different direction with this, but coming out of COVID, where um, the club's finances have taken a hit, sponsorship revenue and dollars are down. Mm. The in the industry is still looking to recover. It's a very big strategic play by the Collingwood Football Club to announce KFC as a sponsor. KFC obviously is looking to get into sports. They've been um, associated with cricket now, I think, for a number of years, probably 17 years. Mm. Uh, It's an interesting move at club level because I didn't really like this, but they're also the premier partner of, I think, the West Tigers in the NRL. So they are moving into this, um, you know, this football space. I think part of the reason is McDonald's is, is set to be announced as one of the two or three 
premier partners of the AFL. I think they're they're going to have the ball sponsorship, okay. match ball sponsorship this season or next season, sorry, or the or the year after. So it is a strategic move by KFC. I also think they're still a sub sponsor of the Port Adelaide Football Club, which again, I don't like to share my sponsors. I like my sponsors to just be be mine. Um, but that aside, I think it's a big strategic move by the club. My my final comment before I get a comment from you is I think the logo actually looks really good on the jumper. And I, I think that's a really important note to make when you are signing on a sponsorship is what, what it actually looks like on- Aesthetics. You know, the aesthetics of it, the media board and the jumper. And I, I know you all of our listeners would have seen the Jeff Brown interview by now and it had the big KFC media board. It just looks really good alongside the Emirates logo, both predominantly red with white type, both very iconic, both leaders in their industry. We won't talk about Latrobe Financial, but a lot, alongside Nike, that's a pretty significant media sponsor board for an AFL, for an Australian-based club to have. So my hard yes is um, KFC, welcome aboard the um, the Collingwood Football Club train. Look, there's a big gulf between being leader in the industry of international travel uh, and luxury uh, airlines and being a leader in the industry of fried chicken. Um, <laughs> interesting that you've gone with a hard yes on this one. But um, I was actually thinking I saw that the the brand board, sponsor board, and I was thinking you'd be kind of annoyed if you're Emirates because it does, it does. The the, the beautiful thing about Emirates now for twenty years is is that the re, the red really pops with mm. the black and white on the black and white, yeah. and they've really owned the red. And you, mm. to to the to the point where if you see red in conjunction with Collingwood, you think Emirates, and that's the kind of brand association that they're paying for. Mm. Um, before I get into my opinion on KFC, can I also ask you a question? You know, you're you're heavily uh, involved in in the brand world and have have some unique insight. You know, as a as a professional in in these kind of spaces, do brands care about alignment with like club supporters, for instance, or is it just about gaining maximum exposure? Like, is any good publicity is any publicity good publicity kind of thing? Uh, they do because I think. One thing KFC would be looking at with this Collingwood deal is access to the Collingwood database. So I'd say you've got, what, 80,000 members. I actually don't know how many people subscribe to Collingwood's um, channels, like mm. collectively. I'd say, it's, I'd say it's much more than 80,000 because you will, you will get some non-members who are either following the club or getting the updates from the club. So when you think about it from a, a, a data point of view, um, if KFC overnight can have access to, you know, let's say 150,000 new, you know, potential customers, families, um, you know, that's 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 pretty significant for them. Plus, there's obviously the brand awareness that comes with being, um, you know, aligned with a club as big and powerful as, as Collingwood. So it's not it's not super. You know, important for them, but they do know that they need to engage to, to be engaging. Um, you know, well, let's call them audiences, but they're really customers at a at a um, at a at a local level. You can call AFL local because it's it really is. You know, a lot of family and co community stuff in there. So I would say it's a, it's a very strong alignment, especially for a brand that's looking to be a little bit more 
you know, seen in a healthy space. Did you watch the vid- the club video, which was like of the launch of the, uh, you know, the new sponsor, and they're like handing out chicken in the in the in the uh, Holden Center. I did. I did see that. Were we still in lockdown when that came out? I can't remember because it feels like it was a COVID affected stunt. So I, I don't. I, I don't think you can. Um, I don't think you can gauge it too seriously. I'm gauging I mean- it, and what we've got <laughs> is like a whole bunch of like um, multi generational extras. It appears that have been placed on red velvet couches. While how? Um, what's his name? How? Jeremy Howe. Um, Jeremy Howe is walking around handing out chips and fried yeah. chicken buckets to these randoms. If we had any doubt that Braden Maynard would would do anything for the club, he'd run through brick walls. Oh, well, yeah. let us not doubt him anymore. Not only is he re-signed unnecessarily, but he has walked around uh, the Holden Centre with a bucket on his head He's during the bucket. said... Mm. I love, I love, I love the idea of that stunt. I'm remembering it now. It's all coming back to me. But the idea was, I think the club had said we we've invited a handful of members. Oh, was that it? That's the all these. It was a weird like age spectrum of yeah, 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 yeah. So it was like we haven't told them we're going to surprise them. They they're just there to get an update and to hear from the coach. And I, I was just thinking like, you'd be pretty. Fucking stoked, right? If the club got in touch with you and said there's going to be a big momentous thing happening at the club, you know, Craig's going to be there, Lepich is going to be there, a couple of the players are going to be there. We want you to hear it first, you know, and you mm. go down there and you're like, fuck, like this is an announcement, like we've signed someone or like it's just, you know, something to do with a football club. And, <laughs> and then Braden Maynard some- comes out with a bucket of chicken on his head and it's like, <laughs> and then they hand you the chicken because the chicken, like, you know, as far as I'm aware, I don't know if there's the, the commercial oven facilities. It wouldn't have been a pressure cooker. Cold so chicken. The, the chips, I don't think, would have aged terribly oh, well. Soggy. And um, yeah, I, I imagine that that's a food. I don't have a lot of eat a lot of KFC. I'm not against KFC, but I imagine that's a food that you'd you'd want to eat pretty pretty much out of the out of the oven, right? Like at its crispest, oh, yeah. warmest, you know, tastiest, juiciest, best. So I can just imagine sitting there tucking into your third leg bone and thinking, <laughs> is that, w- w- there was something else or is that, oh, that's it. Okay, great. Fantastic. That's, that's wonderful. And, um, you know, grabbing a bucket and getting your bucket signed and then heading out. And I think maybe that's fantastic as well. And maybe that's all it needed to be. But yeah, as far as stunts go, I would have liked to have seen the Colonel there. Maybe not, not the original Colonel, obviously, uh, <laughs> in a weekend at Bernie's style, uh, conga dance but if we could have had a guy yeah. dressed up in that in that um in that you know southern colonel outfit it would have been a he's great a, celebrity arms race thing we we put the guernsey on the colonel he, he's a really fascinating guy the colonel i don't know if you've ever read up on him but it's he's it's a force of nature that that guy's still on the buckets um because he sold the company i think in 64 for like two million so he's had no association with kfc for Fucking eons, right? Over fifty years. He must but be getting on. He was. Colonel. He was a. He was this fascinating. He was like a, a an old school. He didn't get. He didn't get famous until he was very old. Um. He'd committed. He'd considered committing suicide. He'd been in that many failed ventures Jesus. before he started KFC. He was involved in a shootout. So when he was running, <laughs> he was running a service station, which <clears throat> where he was cooking his chicken, and I think. Um, 
he started putting up KFC signs everywhere and someone else who was running a service station down the road, this is in Kentucky, took umbrage to it and started painting over them. Wow. So he, he marched down there with a pistol. The other guy had a pistol. The other guy shot someone and killed them. I think the colonel fired a shot and landed it in the shoulder. Anyway, got off scot-free. <laughs> it's like in a chicken shootout. And then I think, uh, I think he went after he'd sold KFC, he was that disappointed at their potato and gravy that he threatened to sue them for $122 million to, for bringing the name of um, KFC in, into disrepute. <laughs> All right, so this time of year, it's just like it's just like the good stuff straight into your veins. Seeing these images of really young men running around glistening in the heat, off season, you know, you, the win loss record is good at zero zero. You know, <laughs> hope is in front of us, right? Yeah. Now, it was a weird experience though during the week to see one of these like video updates of training, and I felt like you know we've we've mentioned this before. You remember sliders? the 90s mm. with uh, Jerry O'Connell. Jerry O'Connell? Yeah. What if you found a portal to a parallel universe? What if you could slide into a thousand different worlds where it's the same year and you're the same person, but everything else is different? It felt like I'd gone through the sliders portal mm. watching this video because I didn't recognize a fucking person. On, it was so... <laughs> I was like, have I been in a coma for like seven years and woken up? Every coach was different. You've got Lepich there. You've got Brendan Bolton looking on like pensively from the sideline with like a clipboard. You've got mm. Fly McRae. And then you've got like the these poor first to third year players like running mm. the two kilometer lap or whatever. And at the at the finish line is like this dude with a beard, like looks like a barista, who I believe is our <laughs> high performance he, manager, barking at is. them. And he's saying like act like winners we act like winners winners only and i'm like geez this guy's like a real like rabid dog like it wasn't very subtle at all it's like military isn't it it was bizarre um you know we'll see how that guy pans out but <laughs> so i'm looking at all these strange faces on the oval and i'm like barely recognize anyone and it the thought does strike me at what point is it refreshing to have this big turnover in personnel and culture and at what point could it be counterproductive like the the discontinuity of moving people out of the club and starting mm. with such a huge turnover uh, of new staff like how are we at risk of like losing some kind of culture and tradition and, and continuity you know within the fabric of the place yeah I, that's that's a really interesting point because i don't know if you picked up on this but um did you see at the agm the life memberships that were handed out no. to club staff. No. So there was a couple. I think the first one was, this is really kind of cool actually, but it was an executive assistant who'd been at the club, I think, for 20 years and had been EA to um, Balm, uh, Greg, Swan, mm. all of those old admin dudes and had basically been the EA through the years right up to to Graham Wright. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, just imagine the conversations that, you know, that executive assistant, I think Tracy was her name, would have overheard. I mean, that's a pie-hard episode in itself. We should try and get Trace on. That would be really, such a good interview. 
That would be such a good interview, wouldn't it? Because she was there for all of the clandestine meetings, taking notes and setting up meetings with, you know, nefarious. Imagine the dossier. We get our hands on the dossier. The dossier, the yeah. Like it's like the Epstein. Um, it's the WikiLeaks. Epstein, it's, you, know, you know the Epstein plane journal? That, <laughs> no, you know, that it sounds sorted. It's, it's, the, it's the logbook of everyone that was on the Epstein jet. I mean, I think it's the most prized after piece of evidence. Neil Baum's sorted notes. Got, it's got the it's got the initials of Clinton and all of those guys and royalty, but yeah, yeah, the tra- Tracy's Tracy's black book. But one thing that really stuck out for me was Rowan Rowan Bounds, who I think for thirty four years has been the club's head trainer, bowed out of the club um, this okay. year, was awarded life membership, which is really huge. When you think about thirty four years, I think. He started as a trainer for the under-19s. Um, I believe he was there for the 1990 Premiership um, under Matthews, uh, worked his way up to be head trainer when Tony Shaw took over, um, carried over into the Malthouse era, Buckley, and now he finishes his tenure with, um, you know, this year. Mm-hmm. But one of the interesting things was, and I'll, I'll, I'll pull it up because I want to make sure I get it right, but it was a very passionate speech that he made at the AGM and he said these words he said I hope I've treated you all with respect and dignity and I want you to know I got so much back from you all he's talking to the club the players the administration this club has lost so many good people in recent times so I hope the current management and new board learn from the past and start to treat the current wonderful staff and players with the greatest respect they all deserve it was not given to myself and many others especially over the last two years it's sad my association has ended, but with this place that ran through my veins, I leave Collingwood with my head held high. So it was not given to myself and many others, especially over the last two years. Mm. What's, let's talk about the last two years. So the last two years, when Maguire left at the start of this year, right? Well, co- yes, COVID cutbacks would have to be the, the main context there, like savage right. cutbacks within football departments where like, People were let go with with no notice, mm. basically, on the pretext right. of COVID uh, and a number of disgruntled people across the league. I mean, heaps of people. It was sure. like something like it was something like thirty between thirty and forty percent of the AFL workforce, I think. In, in staff. okay, right. So, so the context there that that I'm not picking up is 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 pandemic cuts to footballing program and a lot of good people going. Yeah, but what he's the interesting thing is that what he's picking up on is like maybe it wasn't handled as well as it could. And mm. I think kind of going to what I suspected, you know, or feared could be the case is that a club is just the sum of its people. Mm. And so when you get rid of everyone and start again, mm. the club's a whole different beast. Mm. And we're hoping blindly that that new beast is a really good one because we believe that the selection process for Craig McRae and his team was a thorough one, but it's it's a bit of a raffle. Like there's a lot of there's a lot of experience and like kind of culture which has gone out the door. It's really interesting, isn't it? And it's a it's a subtext to this is, and you're right. Like we're we're talking a lot about this this being the new Collingwood or Collingwood 2.0 or you know good new Collingwood forever. But this is a big club that's been around for a long time and has a lot of tradition. And it's interesting. Like I think that cultural shift, how much of it do you celebrate mm. and carry through versus how much is, well, I learned this at the Lions and I'm going to bring this to this organisation. 
Um, because we know when we see it in the corporate world and companies change and shift and new management come in, it can go, it can mean good things mm. or it can set a company back. Can lose um, itself. Often you, you know, if you look, a great example is like VB, right? VB was around for a, a very long time. Um, someone about 10 years ago thought that they would update it. So they changed the look of the logo. They changed the bottle shape. Mm, I remember um, that. It was a new recipe. They, they got rid of hard-earned thirst. They, got, they did all of this new shit and sales plummeted, right? So a year later, they took it back. Another yep. example, barbecue shapes. Remember they fucked around and changed the recipe of barbecue yeah. shapes and everyone was buying the old shapes and yeah. the new shapes came in and people were like, this is bullshit. If it ain't broke, yeah. So the cynical you know, marketer in me says uh, sometimes that's staged to kind of refresh and recalibrate okay. and come across as a message like, hey, we're listening to you and you guys were right and we were wrong and we want to bring the old thing back and, you know, it kind of is an injection of sales into a brand. But I think, you know, you can fuck with a recipe. And it's really interesting that of all the new discussion that McRae and, and co uh, are sort of rolling out and even, and even Jeff Brown and this being a new club and they're still rolling with the side-by-side mantra. It's yeah. sort of, you know, that hasn't, that's come back, you know, just as hard. And it's interesting. I, I have, um, I have a couple of, you know, points of view on side by side. I think it's, it's a great thing. It's a great line. It's a very handy line to, to talk about, you know, the club and what it stands for, but the club hasn't, it's fair to say, hasn't lived up to that over the last two years. If you look at some of the Trelaw trades and even Rowan Bounds's, you know, commentary about the last two years and COVID and mm. are we really side by side? It's it's one of those things that, you know, it has different meanings and I'm all for it, but mm, it's, it's funny, like we always go with one of the phrases or some of the language from the club song. Remember mm. it was like Collingwood forever. Yes. And then side by side. Why don't we go with something like really simple with cut through, cut through? Good. Full stop. <laughs> Just good. So like good culturally as yeah. opposed to like racist and backward. Yep. Good on the field. Yep, performances. Players. Not, I'm not sure we just want good on the field. They do. We want slightly better than good, but good. <laughs> you can see the, the font, you know, mm. the full stop. Mm. It's, mm. it's very it's, it's very is Don is good, isn't it? You know, <laughs> it it's very salami Simple. focused. The members can understand it. Um, yeah, but it's interesting what you say. And I think the broader context, it's not just the COVID cutbacks. It's in the context of the Do Better report. The challenge is, and this is a real challenge, I don't pretend to have the answers, is like at what stage are you throwing the baby out with the bathwater? Mm. So we've become aware stock. that like certain tenets of the traditional culture at Collingwood were mm. systemically racist, okay? It's not just individuals like being evil. It's not nothing to do with that. It's, it's a system Mm. whereby like certain racism was able to play out over a long period of time. We've found that out. So the natural inclination is to like scrub the place clean, like start again. Mm. But then what are you losing? You need to try and identify what culture is worth retaining. Mm. And this Rowan Bounds bloke, Mm. he's obviously bitter. Fabric. Obviously bitter about like the extent of the clean out. Mm. Um, And time will tell. As I said, watching this. This training like was like an out of body experience. Like, who, what club am I watching? And granted, it was for first to third year players, so like a lot of their senior senior kind of faces weren't there. But you do you do think like, what is this new club in twenty twenty two going to look like? Mm, 
Okay, well, let's watch watch this space because I think, you know, we've said this a couple of times, but the proof isn't in the pudding. The proof will be in the eating of the pudding. So I think 2022 is going to be a fascinating year. Um, yeah, we'll be watching very intently. Let's Let's go with one more hard yes. You know who? The chosen one. The chosen one. There's a fantastic, uh, in the most recent iteration of that little club doco, which is called The Grind or something like that, fantastic segment on Nick Dacos. Um, and I'll just draw you, I don't know that you've seen it. Did you see the video? The no. Gr- okay, no, so basically um, the bit which I love is like they've got Ollie Henry giving Nick Dacos the 35 jumper, which is poetic in my opinion because mm. obviously it was his dad's number um, and we know that since Simon Presagia Como, our first our top draft pick in each year wears the 35 for the first year. I hope that Nick just sticks with 35, but I suspect he'll probably end up with one. Well, hang on, hang on. He's going to end up with number one. Well, you know they get 35 as a matter of course. Well, these one's days. taken. One's taken. One's taken by Lipinski. So that's, oh, that's fuck. I didn't know that. No, okay. no. So, yeah. Lipinski <laughs> took so, one? Yeah, he took one. He took one. So I think that's good. He He's a good-looking guy. Like he is the number one looking guy at that club. So I think um you know, high cheekbones looks like a looks like a, a Prada perfume. He's almost too too good looking. Listening. He's almost yeah, he's almost off brand. Almost yeah. off brand. He's I think treading on Glenn Moriarty's toes. Maybe that offsets the KFC deal then, you know, getting in a yeah, getting in a Moriarty type. But sorry, as you were. I forget where I was, but they've got all this kind of media circus around the draft, obviously, mm. and this fantastic segment where the photographers are getting, you know, they get the draft picks to do really goofy poses mm. as part of like the Herald Sun back page or whatever. And so they've mm. got Nick Dacos there in the street with his Collingwood jumper on and they've asked his mum to kiss him on the cheek. His mum's mm. on one side, his dad's mm. on the other. Dacos sandwich. Yeah, his mum to kiss him on the cheek um, to get this cute kind of family portrait and throughout i must say throughout this kind of segment they've shown him do these interviews we've we've seen a few of them where nick takeoff is actually a a really slick media performer for his age like he Mm. he just says all the right things it's time to get to work i'm not getting ahead of myself can earn my spot it feels like home already grateful for the opportunity all the all the good stuff you know that doesn't mean anything but you know he's very like measured comes across as quite mature but there was a bit where the maturity just broke and it was when the mum leans in, kisses him on the cheek, the Herald Sun photographer. Dad kind of misunderstands and leans in and kisses him on the other cheek. <laughs> and Nick goes, Dad! <laughs> and uh, just, the old Macedonian welcome. heartwarming, mm. like, to see mm. the embarrassment of the kid, um, the human kind of, you know, connection there with old Peter, who obviously we grew up idolising and still do. We're seeing a new side of Peter, aren't we? Because as as formerly mentioned on Pie Hard, we've seen those like, you know, we saw him at the football with Nick watching Josh. Mm. Josh kicks a goal and there's that outburst of emotion. And I think even with that scenario that you've just painted, the fact that Peter, you know, kind of led that and lent in with a kiss, whether it was a cheeky kind of move or whether it was just a heartfelt move, we don't know. We don't really care. Mm. It's just we're seeing a new side of Peter, the the... The, the staunch, you know, professional footballer 
that you know never got carried away on the field you know was always icy cool yeah you know after every goal like little flourishes of celebrations but nothing ever over the top or, or dramatic like you see now so I'm, I'm loving that we're seeing that side of that family as well because just deep down when you've see, seen so much of the dacos you know family over the last six months we we're gonna see a lot more which we can't wait but they just seem like a really you know, loving, caring, fun unit. And it becomes like this vicarious thing, like the Truman Show, where you are experiencing the love a father has for a son, for yourself, for Nick. Mm. And this is what happened. And I kind of, as I get older, I can see why these old women that always, you know, sit near you at the footy and why they always call the players by the first name and say like, come on, Travis. And, you know, they have this kind of maternal instinct for the young players. And when you see Peter with his son, you can't help, it can't help but to kind of generate this instinct inside of us, which just makes us like all the more excited. We're falling in love with this family. It's like the Truman Show, the Dacos Show, the Kardashians. It's the whole lot. Well, well I hope the club has, an, uh, has released the um, 2022 playing badge um, in time for Christmas because I'll tell you what, that's going to be a stocking filler, the Nick Dacos player badge. I mean, if that doesn't sell out. I'd be very surprised. Let's finish off. Let's kick it home with one more hard no. And I think it's, I think it's, I'm going to look at you for this one, Al. And I think it's connected to our preseason training, the new mantra, Mm. this winners only mantra. I'd love to hear more. It's probably a hard maybe. I'm just worried. Like they've got winners only, right? And they've put it on the floor, I think, Mm. as you enter the change rooms or something. Decals. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I like it, and we've heard from actually during our interview with Luke Ball, we've heard that a big part of the attraction to Craig McRae was that he's a winner. I mean, he's won three premierships as a player. He's been involved in the Richmond system. Um, So we know that that's a big part of his attraction as a coach. Going winners only Mm. in first preseason, we're going to have a really young team. And is there a world in which if we do lose a bunch of games at the start of the season and our win-loss ratio isn't as promising as we hoped, that like that kind of mantra can come back and bite us or do we do we just kind of like bustle through it and like insist? I think what Craig McCray would probably say, it's not about the winning itself, it's about the behaviours mm. and the learned behaviours of acting like a winner, even if you're a loser. Yeah, because I, I think I think it's just a little bit of miscommunication. I think I think McRae, when he came out, you're right, was uh, it was all about building winning habits. Mm. So I, I think that is important. I think if you sandwich that with Jeff Brown's approach, that was all about excellence, right? So that mm. was raising excellence for the club in every way, on field, off field, you know, performance, science, all of that stuff. I like the term excellence because to me that covers winning. Um, but yeah, the winners only mantra, I think, look, let's not overanalyze this. I think it's, it's, it's very nice for our supporters who have gone through a really tough time to see words like winners only. And I've seen on socials, it's, it's, it's been, it's been very well received by our fans. I, I think all of our supporters know where we sit as a team and as a club, and we are looking at, um, improvement next year, not, you know, not regression. Not, not nothing, nothing more than that. So, I think let's just give that one to 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 us, like to the supporters. It's nice to see it for a change. Like we've made these comments on Piard before. Just the sheer word of winning, like that's what we're here to do. Like 
that's the pass mark ultimately. So if it's if it's going to manifest itself in a decal that says winners only on the tan or in front of the group photo or on a decal as you walk into the Lexus Center, I'm okay with that. Uh, I don't have any issues with that. I think it's it's a strong message about the about the Craig McRae uh, coaching philosophy, mm. and it you know. Winners only can mean many things, right? It can it can mean winning winning the day, winning the session, you know, winning against your demons. I think it's about how demons. they hold themselves, right? Of course, that's of what course. he's going to be talking about. He's like, look, even if you lose or you don't you don't beat that PB in the time trial mm. that you're hoping to, it's about how you cross the line, how you hold yourself, how you pick up your teammate, all that kind of business. Which Jogging. which are, they're, they're, it's wholesome, it's wholesome. But at the end of the day, it's just words. I mean, it's just like a marketing meeting. Um, is is only brought to fruition when it's actually, you know, sells stuff. And when we start winning games, that's when that motto, you know, we can judge it in earnest. And maybe that's a question we ask our next guest. Okay, I'd like to kick off with an apology to Jeff Brown. We did have an exclusive interview with Collingwood's new president scheduled for today, but when our next guest became available, we promptly cancelled that interview with Jeff Brown, and I think you'll you'll understand why. Our guest today hails from the booming metropolis of Mansfield. He was the biggest thing to come from Mansfield until the zoo shipped over those African lions. A gifted and talented junior footballer, he gave up a promising life as a farmhand to roll the dice in the biggest football code on earth, the AFL. Taken by the Collingwood Football Club with pick one in the 1999 National Draft, he joined the club at a flashpoint moment in the club's history. Having just finished bottom of the ladder with a young team and an erstwhile journeyman coach, he was thrust into the spotlight at the tender age of 18, shouldering the ruck duties against much bigger, much older, and far less intelligent rucks. He stood up on the biggest stage when it mattered, kicking three goals in both the 2002 prelim and the grand final and finished in the best in the 02 and 03 losing grand finals. He went on to carve out 200 games with the club before playing and coaching stints at the Gold Coast Suns, uh, Carrollton, Carlton, sorry, Carlton, <laughs> and the mighty Preston Bull Ants before his career came full circle. Most recently, he has returned to Collingwood as the head of academy and the parallels with when he first joined the club and now are eerily similar. Only this time, he's shouldered with the job of moulding the young magpies under Craig McRae. And we're not only grateful to have him back at Collingwood, but to also welcome him to Pie Hard. Josh Fraser, welcome to the Pie Hard podcast. It's great to have you. Uh, it's great to be with you guys. And thanks very much for the intro. That was, um, I've had a few introductions over the journey, but that was, um, that was as good as I've had. So thank you very much for that. You're welcome. We, we we try and put a little bit of effort, not too much, but a little bit of effort into our um, introductions. So I'm going to kick it off, Phrase. You hold a particularly special place in Pie Hard's heart, most noticeably for kicking eight goals on a certain Pie Hard host on a frosty Mansfield morning against rivals, the Alexandra Rebels. What made playing against me on that day so difficult? <laughs> well, I put it down to myself being in a, in a really good side. And, um, you know, when you've got good players around you, you can have good days occasionally so I wouldn't necessarily say that it was anything you did or didn't do but um more mm. rather the good fortune of me being being in a good team that day humble yes yeah, very very <laughs> humble champion 
Uh, okay, so you grew up in the country. Do, do you ever think about your how your life may have pounded out if you weren't a professional footballer? Oh, that is a good question. Probably more now that I've retired, I, I do reflect back on the start of my journey. And I guess when you're dealing with young players too and you're trying to mould and, and carve their own careers out, um, you do like to, to talk to them about other um, opportunities and other things that they need to be planning for. Um, but I guess in my case, I never really considered what things would look like if I didn't play um, AFL footy. I think that possibly speaks to how single-minded and determined I was at that stage. But um, you know, I wasn't um, you know wasn't overly invested in schooling. Um, I did start an apprenticeship as a as a boilermaker, and that lasted only a month or two because I, I ended up. Um, not going through that based on the fact that, you know, I was spending all day on my legs and um, I had to go to training over at Wangaratta and, and, you know, pursue this dream of being an AFL footballer. So for me, that was, I threw all my eggs into that basket. Um, I still have a very strong passion for the farm and go back mm. and, and do what I can there. But, um, yeah, I think for me it was um, you know, either get drafted or possibly stay on the farm or, or look to get a trade of some sort. Josh, it's Alex here. I'm surprised that um, with the state of the facilities at Vic Park, your skills as a boilermaker weren't weren't brought into the fold. Because I reckon there's a bit of work to be done when you when you arrived in in the year 2000. Yeah, look, I probably wasn't as upskilled to to do much uh, in that space at that time. But um, isn't it funny? You know, when you when I reflect back on, I guess my first day at Vic Park and. Um, you know, walking into the doors there, and the first person I, I actually ran into was Nathan Buckley, ironically, who become you know my captain for so long and, and one of the great greatest players of all time. But um, I guess having spent a year or two at Vic Park and then moving to uh, I think it's the Holden Centre now they they call it. Mm. Um, you, you do you do gain a real appreciation for those old suburban venues and the history and tradition that they carry and. Um, you know, I do consider myself lucky to have spent at least a year or two at Big Park, and um, I know we played a couple of practice matches there in my time. But um, the ground, as I said, holds huge significance for, for Collingwood and its supporters. And uh, there's been so many iconic moments, I suppose, in the club's history that have formed there. So um, I was a huge fan of Victoria Park, although I didn't get to play there for home and away points. I did get to play some practice matches there, and thankful that I was able to start my my journey as a young player out of Victoria Park. You mentioned that you run into Nathan Buckley straight off the bat. Which players uh, at Collingwood were most welcoming to you? And on the flip side, were there any, were there any that um, were perhaps a bit more intimidating in those early days? Um, yeah, good question. I, I wouldn't say intimidating. I think when I look back, the club was going through a real transformation and probably the game was too. It was almost coming out of that sort of semi-professional era and, and just transitioning into you know full, fully professional um you know, environment with, with players and I think the list was going through similar type of change. I guess when Mick arrived, um, it invested in a lot of youth through the draft um, and certainly traded some players who came in and became, you know, role-type players, if you like. But in terms of initial impressions, you know, um, Bucks was welcoming. Um, Scotty Burns, um, who I've got a, an enormous amount of respect for, was, was someone that was really welcoming. Gavin Brown was there at the time. Gavin Francisco, Paul Williams, uh, Mark Richardson, um, Shane Watson. So, yeah, just some household Collingwood names who really... Oh, under- the names, yeah. Yeah, they, they, those guys really understood, um, 
you know, the importance of bringing in the young players and making them feel comfortable. But I didn't feel intimidated um, by anyone. I think it was, it just took a little while for things to unfold and play out in terms of, you know, who were the guys who were going to take the club forward. Yeah, and the, the club really needed taking forward. I mean, if we look back um, as supporters, there were some dark days under Tony Shaw, unfortunately, in the, in the 90s. And at the turn of the century, we had the, the convertible rolling onto the stage um, with Mick Malthouse revealed in the driver's seat and Eddie behind him in the back seat. And there was a real sense of possibility at the yep. club. And I think, you know, through no fault of your own, you really ended up being a, a big focus of that new era. You're a real symbol of the kind of renewed hope that we were all desperate for at the time. How did it feel as just such a young man coming from Mansfield, arriving at such a big club in the big city? How did it feel um, kind of taking on the pressure of being being number one draft pick at a time when the club was battling a bit on and off the field? Yeah, look, I, I, probably, I probably didn't have a the true appreciation of that in my early days and I, I think in some ways that played to my advantage. I think I I had a level of naivety around, you know, the pressure and expectation and that sort of allowed me to, to go in and, and be myself and um, you know, try and play to my strengths. And I was in a hurry as a young player. I wanted to play straight away and, and largely because of what you just said, I wanted to come in and help the football club grow and get better and I wanted to play a, an important role in that. Um and I guess, you know, as time went on and two or three years into my career and, you know, I guess you can debate whether I was having the impact that people expected me to or not, but I, I started to feel the pressure a little bit then, I would say, and that possibly had more of a negative effect on, on me and how I saw myself as a player and, and maybe how I performed. But um, early days, it was, you know, again, being naive to a lot of the commentary and opinion um you're either coming to be yourself and um, again I was in a bit of a hurry because I did want to be a, a great player and I did want to help this footy club uh, rebound as quickly as it could and um, look we had some I'd say we had some success early making a couple of grand finals and there's no doubt I'd look back on my career now a hell of a lot differently had we have been able to win one of those grand finals. We, yeah, it's, we'll touch on that in a sec phrase. It, it's, it's an interesting point because we kind of have this viewpoint of, of Ruckman kind of coming into maturity in their late 20s it almost feels like it it takes it takes a while for for ruckman to kind of grow out get their body right you know bang up a little bit and then and then contest i don't know if that's accurate but you came in almost from the jump um do you ever think about what that impact had on your career obviously you wanted to come in and 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 improve the club it feels very early to be, um, you know, diving into that role against big, hard, hardened, seasoned bodies. Is that is that a fair reflection? Did that did that help or hinder your career going forward? Yeah, I think it's a fair reflection, um, and I don't lay blame on anyone with this because, you know, if I rewind my own mind and put myself back in my shoes in in two thousand, um, I wanted to play. I, I remember I was really disappointed and, and almost dirty that I didn't get a chance to play in the New Year's Eve game when, when Carl <laughs> smashed us. But that that was how eager and keen I was to get out there yeah. and play. Um, and then with some experience and maturity and, and probably you know, when you finish playing and you can reflect on your career and in my case, moving into coaching and trying to draw on those experiences, I do look back and, and I know that I, I wasn't ready to play 
to play the role that I think the club wanted me to play, or at least I wasn't ready to play it um, as well as I would have liked to. Um, and I had to find other ways to, to try and um, have impact. And for me, it was you know, my ability to move around the ground and um, find a bit of the footy and be creative and, you know, at my best, probably nullify a lot of the, the rucks, the ruck stoppages. But, um, mm. you know, I was, I know looking back and I've seen a bit of vision from time to time and I was getting thrown around by guys like Matty Primus and Paul Salmon and, you know, these types of players. And there was a different era of Ruckman then and it was probably, again, just transitioning out of that, you know, heavier set sort of Ruck type into mm. a more mobile type. And I was probably at the start of that more mobile type, although I was probably being asked to do it a little bit earlier than, mm. um, you know, I guess the game demanded. But, again, um I certainly don't hold any grudges. I think in hindsight, yeah, I would have been better served to maybe apply my trade at BFL level for a year or two. But, mm. um, yeah, you asked me this question 15, 20 years ago, I would have said I wanted to play every week. <laughs> yeah, of course. I, I think the, the key the key thing here, and, and for many of our supporters who, who saw you in those early years will understand, it, you were actually quite a new and exciting version of a ruckman so you were that prototype mobile ruckman you had the deafness to your ruck craft but your ability to follow up these are common terminology this is common terminology now but back in 2000 it was it was a new it was new and your ability to go forward and hit the scoreboard and kick goals i mean i remember you as a junior just as a prolific goal kicker so we see some clubs kind of invest in this superstar ruckman who can do it all and others that play the journeyman with big bodies how important do you think the ruck position is to a team's success in the modern game? Yeah, I think it, it's become more important um, because the game's more a territory game now. So if you can get some type of ascendancy around stoppages, it can only help you. Um, although it's an interesting debate as well because you look at you know, a guy like Aaron Sandlins who was you know traditionally one of the guys that would get his hand on the ball the most, but I think Fremantle always had one of the lowest clearance rates in the competition. So um, having a dominant ruckman doesn't necessarily equate to, you know, winning clearances and, and getting that field position, but it certainly does help. Um, and, yeah, I, I think that the importance of that ruck position is probably greater than it's ever been. Um, and you look at guys like Max Gorn and his ability to compete in the middle, but also, you know, go forward at different times. And um, the game has changed and evolved a lot. As you can see, a lot of rucks now are getting sort of that 20, 25 possessions. Whereas, you know, I guess when I started, you know, 20 possessions for a ruckman was a, was a really big game. So, um, it, it, yeah, it has changed a lot to answer your question. And I think the importance of that position is, is as strong as it's ever been. Fraze, you always seem to rise to the occasion and play at your, your elite best when given the mantle of the sole responsibility as, as the one ruck on the field for the pies. How did you feel when Steve McKee went down with Legionnaire's disease from the Vic Parks bar? <laughs> oh, he, um, <laughs> he's a great man, Stevie McKee. He's a, he's a terrific guy. I'm not sure, I'm not sure how the supporters felt about uh, Stevie's time at, at the pies, but um, I loved him as a teammate. And you're right, I did enjoy you know, the sole responsibility, um, the rucking. I think it was one of those positions where you, you, you need to work yourself into the game if you like. Like you have a slow start, but you, you want to be able to keep competing and, and keep working out how to get an advantage on your opponent. But he, um, yeah, as I said, he, he was a, a really good support for me in my early days at the club. And um, 
I can't even recall how long the Legionnaires incident kept him out for, but um, you don't see too many of those incidents on the um, team sheet these days for players missing games. No, I think the hygiene protocols at clubs have <laughs> improved in the last two decades. But, um, yeah, I can see that Steve McKee would be a top bloke. What other players did, did you really enjoy playing with the most throughout the 2000s? Uh, well, some of the guys I was a bit closer to, you know, Shane O'Brien, um, I was actually, I consider myself close to Nathan Buckley through the early 2000s. Um, he was a guy that did give me a lot of support. Uh, Scotty Burns, Anthony Rocker, um, really enjoyed his company. Um, Presty, I really, he was a, he was a beauty. Presty, we had Shane Wakeland, uh, Rupert Bateris, um, Carl Steinford. I mean, you could name so many of them. And that was the great thing about our side through the 2000s. Um, I wouldn't say they were star-studded or bar, you know, a couple of exceptions like your Buckleys and your Burns and your Rockers, but we had just some really solid blokes who, as teammates, were great teammates, and as blokes, they were just great blokes. So, um, yeah, I think Mick always talks about that 2002 Premiership team, although we didn't get the result on the day. He's got a photo of that team, um, I think, up in his study, and he understands how how good that side was at just, you know, being role players and, and being really solid guys on and off the field. Yeah, I think Licker told us that the story about the uh, the photo on Mick's desk. Um, so we love hearing that. So let's let's talk about two thousand and two because you played, I think, all twenty five games, kicked thirty seven goals. You kicked three in the grand final, and as we said in the intro, you kicked three in the prelim to get to get the pies into the final as well. Do you look back on that grand final as a missed opportunity or just a dose of bad luck coming up against the might of Craig McRae in his prime? <laughs> no. Um... It's a tough one to, not a tough one to assess, but it's a tough one to pass judgment on because the reality was we came up against a, a bloody good team. And I think mm. in some ways, Brisbane, all these years later, are probably still underrated because people tend to talk about you know the more present era and Richmond and Hawthorne and Geelong, but Brisbane were, they were awesome through that 2000, early 2000 period. Um I guess it's one of those games where, because it was so close, you do reflect and you go, geez, was there, was there other things that we could have done? Or was there little moments that we, we could have controlled which would have, you know, contributed to us winning? Um, and it was funny again in the sense that I, I always felt 2003, um, uh, we were the better team. I thought we had a much better season. I thought we beat Brisbane in the first final in 2003. I went into that grand final more confident, not, not, not cocky and not thinking we had a one, but I was more confident in our ability. Sure. And they just history says they just smacked us. So, um, yeah, O two was was disappointing for different reasons, uh, but O three for me was probably the one where I felt like we that was a real opportunity missed because for for whatever reason um, we didn't produce anywhere near our best footy that day. Yeah, we, look, you were similarly unlucky to miss out on a premiership in 2010 as well. It, it, that must have been bittersweet to have. Played your two hundredth and then depart the club without getting another crack at a at a premiership. Yeah, that was that was tough, no no doubt. Um, it was tough on a few of us, you know. Like I think when you and this is the thing that people probably missed a little bit is that you know myself, Shane O'Brien, Tarkin Lockyer, Presty, and apologies if I do miss some other guys. I think Leon Davis was in there as well, but you know we were all so invested in that club being successful and, and winning a flag and for for 
the right reasons. I mean, it was, you know, you always want your club to be successful and you want to be part of a premiership because that, in many respects, becomes your legacy as, as a playing group. Um, and having missed out in 02 and 03, I, I'd probably never assumed I'd get another opportunity or the club would in my time. And I felt like for two or three years we'd been building towards 2010. Um, so there's another layer of disappointment as well when you when you do miss out. Um, and I think that's just part of human nature. As much as people carry themselves differently and maybe on reflection I probably showed my disappointment a little bit too much. But I, I was so happy for the football club and I was so happy for the playing group and, and the supporters. Like, it was just an awesome occasion. Um, but there's no doubt you, you want to be a part of that. And to miss out was was tough, but, um, you know, it certainly didn't change my opinion and, and or thoughts and feelings on the club in, in general. It was just a moment in time that was a, it was harder to deal with than others. And I guess I had, you know, half a dozen mates around me that were in a similar boat and we all sort of supported one another. And, um, you know, you, you move on and you move forward. But, there's no doubt missing out on, on those things is bloody hard. And there's stories like that every year. So don't sit here thinking that we were the only group that's ever missed out on a flag. It happens every season. But when you're in that moment and you're in those shoes, it's, it's bloody tough, particularly when you're so invested in, in your footy club. Yeah, just the way you list those names. I mean, it seems like it's it's really a group of hugely popular players that missed out, had given so much and missed out on that 2010 flag there. but. I did notice when looking up your Wikipedia page, Josh. Not sure if you've read that lately, but <laughs> no, I haven't. <laughs> you may have, may, you may have missed the 2010 flag. Um, but was it a sense of unfinished business that propelled you to kick 46 goals in six games, including eight in the grand final for the Tattooed Hawks in their victory over Wycliffe <laughs> Lake Bolac in 2016? Yeah, the, those scars of missing out on 2010 um, still spurred me on in the Minnaroon District Footy League to. To go out and kick some some goals, um, <laughs> I got roped into playing some local footy, which I was, to be honest, when I finished up at the Suns, I was dead set against playing. I sort of felt like I just had enough of playing and was going to look forward to just sinking my teeth into coaching. But um, I started off playing back at Mansfield. I had a year there playing senior footy with a couple of really good mates who, again, twisted my arm. And it was the best thing I ever did. Um, I sort of got back to having that love of the game and then. Um, I went up to the Gold Coast and ended up playing for Labrador in the Quaffle there, so similar thing. You know, I thought if I could play half a dozen games, that'll probably that's probably enough for me and, and for my body at that stage. And then when I came to Carlton, a good mate of mine, Matty Pell, who was um, the BFL strength and conditioning coach, for some reason he had a connection down at Tadiun, Um and I'd never heard of Tadiun, um, but found myself there. And um, yeah, I think was it six games you mentioned I played, but one one of them was a grand final, so. Um, had a bit of fun post my AFL career playing local footy, which was which was nice. I'm just picturing the fullback that day for Lake Molac. <laughs> this bloke's played five games for the year, um, and he rolls in to just absolutely dominate. Um, you would not be wanting to play on Jay Fraser uh, in that. Uh, and apologies to Tatiune if that's how you say it. I mispronounced that. I haven't been down there myself either. But um, just to wrap up this kind of segment on your the, your playing days at least and move on to the next um, the next piece in a minute. As supporters, you know, I think I speak for everyone, it's hard to see your favourite sons move on and it was very difficult to see you move on to the Gold Coast at the conclusion of 2010. And 
my dad, George, really never got over it. And he actually still has your badge pinned <laughs> to his uh, Collingwood cap. He's a Josh Fraser tragic to this day. Just wondering if you've got any messages for, for George. Oh, well, I'm, I'm wrapped to hear that there's one tragic out there. Um, <laughs> so I, I just, uh, I, I've always appreciated the supporters and I understand that there's, a, there's always a section of supporters that give players grief and stick and I'll probably wore a fair brunt of that through my time and I understood that. But the, the, the ones for me that, I appreciated and recognised the most were those that were supportive. And it sounds like George fits in that camp. And, um, yeah, I've always felt like I've had time for, for supporters. They're the lifeblood of the footy club. Um, and for me, that's part of the excitement in the current environment for me going back to Collingwood and reconnecting some, with some of those old supporters and, um, you know, seeing the passion that they have. But, um, now in this instance, George, I really appreciate your support, mate. And, if that badge, if that badge, if that if that badge is getting a bit faded, mate, I might have a box full somewhere at home. I can, I can try and send you one. Well, we've got your phone number, Josh. That's a very dangerous <laughs> offer. <laughs> let's 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 kick it along. Let's let's talk about you in in your current set sense, Josh. So returning to Collingwood this year after a decade away, that must have been a really experience, uh, interesting experience for you. There was no Eddie, there was no Mick. No Bucks and no Carl Steinfurt. So, what surprised you most upon your return? Um, yeah, probably the hole that Carl left. To be honest, um, <laughs> <laughs> what surprised me the most in my return? Um, I think probably just the profile of the current playing list. Um, you know, there's such a young group and. The club has gone through some changes and I haven't been there in recent times, so I can't really speak to whether those changes were needed or overdue or, you know, I can't really talk to that. But, um, yeah, I've been really um, excited and surprised by the, the youth of the playing group and where that's at and I think the optimism that comes with that. Um, been really impressed with Craig, uh, the way he set the program up and the type of coach he is. I've never had anything to really do with Craig over the journey apart from, I guess, follow his career a little bit because it's probably taken a similar trajectory to mine in terms of that development focus and coaching your own side at VFL level. Um, but now my initial impressions are really positive. I think there's a great synergy amongst the coaching group. I think there's a lot of unique skill sets that complement each other. Um, as I've touched on, that the, the playing group is exciting. I think there's a lot of upside in it. Um, but the, the club, in terms of what I remember, is as strong as ever. It's a, it's a powerful brand. It's, um, it's, there's a lot of passion around the football club. Um, and, you know, for me, it was a bit nostalgic to walk back in. And, you know, I, I am thankful to, to go back there. Um, I've been able to go and get some different experiences in different environments as a coach. And, um, I didn't know how much it would mean to me to get back to the prize, but it does mean a lot. And again, I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity to be there. We think it's a it's a pretty good time to be a coach in footy that specialises in that development role, just with the the monumental shifts that have occurred in the game and the and the hyper focus on that that individual development kind of role that a coach has these days. You spent some time as a development coach at Carlton. Um, you were head coach at the mighty Preston Bull Ants. What made you go back to Collingwood? Were there other offers? And can you just step us through what your actual role is moving forward? Yeah, so 
I guess if you rewind a little bit, as I started my coaching journey in the Suns, I had two years up there working in development and coaching their NEFL side um, before coming back to Melbourne and, and working at the Blues for uh, five years, coaching their VFL side and also working in development. Um, and I was one of the coaches that um, was a casualty of COVID, if you like. So I guess my hand was forced in terms of stepping away from the AFL system, but that presented a great opportunity to, you know, I guess reignite and, and bring back the, the Preston Boyance, which was a club on its knees. So that was an exciting opportunity during COVID um, and something for me to sink my teeth into. And last year, coaching those guys um, you know, in a standalone environment was arguably one of the most enjoyable things I've done. Um, you know, re-establishing that footy club, that's a powerful brand, Preston, in its own right. Um, mm. You know, working with a lot of young guys who are, you know, tradies and, and they have all sorts of different day job and activities and then they come in and they're so invested in their footy. Um, and then I probably got to a point where as much as I love the buoyant side of things, um, I still had a real drive and passion to be the best coach I could be and, and see how far I could go. So that led to, I think in the end, it was three or four different conversations, um, a couple of interstate opportunities. Um, and then a couple of opportunities in Melbourne, and a couple of opportunities in Melbourne. I think it was a it was a little bit of a time um, time coincided with the two discussions, and um, yeah, the, the Collingwood opportunity presented. And having spoken to Craig um, and got a sense for where he was at and what he was doing, um, I was really excited to accept the role and um, as that head of development slash academy and um, work with a a large group of young players and, and help manage some of the other development coaches so we can maximise the talent on that list. Well, we're not surprised you're in high demand, phrase. Um, and as we've discussed earlier, it's it's a it's a big burden of expectation for any Collingwood, young Collingwood player to come into the system um, because sometimes, let's be honest, as fans, we expect too much too soon. So how many Norman Smiths do you think Nick Dacos will ultimately win? <laughs> All I can say <laughs> is that um, is that you know as a you know, Collingwood supporter should be really excited not only with Nick but the the current group of young guys um, and Nick is a special talent. There's no doubt about that. Uh, I've been really impressed with the way he goes about things um, in terms of you know, how connected he is to the coaching group and wanting to get better and his work ethic on field. I think they're the, the traits that you want to see from guys that are super talented, but. I've been equally as impressed with, as I said, some of those other guys in the draft this year. Um, I think there's good talent through the list. There's a lot of young guys, which I, I didn't really have an appreciation of until I, I got into the club. A lot of guys in that one to three, one to four year bracket. Um, and I've also been really impressed with some of the older guys. You know, a guy like Jamie Elliott's really stood out to me. Um, you know, Taylor Adams has stood out. And part of my role is also to, to do the rucks. So I've been looking... Looking forward to working with Brody and um, and and Darcy Cameron and maybe Mason Cox a bit as well. And those guys have impressed me at different times. So there, there's a lot to like, but I'm aware too that we haven't lost any games yet. Everyone's in a similar boat, and there's a lot of excitement and optimism. But um, yeah, first impressions are strong, and um, yeah, it does take a little bit of time. I think that's the thing, just to have that patience and um, yeah, enjoy the journey of these young players coming through. And as a development coach dealing with these young players, have you noticed personally a um, a difference between how you need to nurture talent today from perhaps what might have been the case when you came into the system? Yeah, I think 
I think these days you spend, and rightfully so, you spend a lot more time as a starting point getting to know the player. So you can almost tailor or adjust the way you coach them because it's not a one-size-fits-all. And I think when I started, it was a bit more one-size-fits-all. You you like it or lump it type of mentality. And um, that actually, I think there's still a place for that. But I think... um, yeah, the game has moved forward to a point where you really are trying to coach the individual to, to get the best out of them and understand that, um, you know, the feedback and the way you talk to them and, and, and instruct them, that's going to look different from player to player. Not Notwithstanding the fact that hard conversations are hard conversations, you, you need to have them and be prepared to have them as a coach. And um, almost always those conversations are just followed up with support and trying to action and help the player become better anyway. But there's no doubt there's been a shift over time um, and probably for the better. Probably good to have an understanding of TikTok these days as well. It probably wouldn't hurt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, 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 a little bit. that wouldn't hurt either. No, um, I must admit I'm not across TikTok. But um, <laughs> I, think, I think, no, and I think the game now, again, it, it, it's always probably catered for individuals. But I think as a coach, you have to have a, a better understanding that this generation is different and um, not in a bad way. It's just a different generation and they've got more access to, to different things. So you have to be aware of that as a coach. And um, although I do at times find it a bit strange that um, they don't always take in the information sent out to them via the phone, but almost all the time <laughs> they've got their phone in their hand. So, uh, <laughs> they're, still, they're still a bit selective. Yeah. Josh, as supporters, we've really latched on to Craig's, I guess, philosophy of this winners only mantra. Um, it's been, yeah. you know, it's been omnipresent. We saw it at training on Friday. I think there's decals on the floor at the Holden Center. It's it's popping up a lot. How do you maintain a winners only mantra with a young group if and when they start losing a few games? Yeah, I think. So my interpretation of winners only is not a results-based philosophy. It's it's more around your habits and your actions. I mean, and I can see some supporters probably assume that winners only, you expect to go out and win every game. That's not going to be the case. It's mm-hmm. going to be around you know, how we operate and, and live day-to-day the footy club to set us up to win more games than we lose in time. I, I just don't... I think, again, it's around your habits and your standards. Um, it's around... Um, your work ethic, it's how you carry yourself. It's, um, you know, it's going to be part of our process. It's not going to be the end product of winning every week you know, next year. Um, but over time, we hope that you know, the winners only mentality um, and we get that consistency in our, our standards and our habits um, in time, that'll become um, more consistent getting results. Yeah, that'll be a byproduct of, you know, all of those incremental um, shifts, as you mentioned. Much has been made of Collingwood's commitment, I think, to going back to the draft and investing heavily in youth. It's something that we probably haven't seen as supporters for a couple of years, but we have started to see some really exciting talent enter the club, particularly over the last two years, including the chosen one. So as the head of academy, uh, a big part of your role will be working with those those players, those one to three or one to four year players. So, so given our list profile, I think you're going to have a really you know, instrumental role in setting the club up for this sustained period of success, or it looks like that to us. How do you fast track young talent or is the idea that, you know, patience is the key? I think it's a combination of both, to be honest. But I think 
I think there'll be some players that you can fast track because for various reasons they're probably ready to be fast track, whether they've played senior footy in a sandful environment or, or they're just they their game intelligence is, you know, ready to go and perform on an AFL stage. There are some guys that you can fast track and then there's some guys that take a little bit more time. Um, and they'll all probably have different focus areas as well. So some guys will, will need to put on some size and learn to use their bodies and, and other guys will be working hard on, on skill fundamentals, um, decision-making, and um, it'll all sort of interwine, I guess, into the way Craig wants the team to play. But, um, yeah, I think patience is key. And then I think um, be pleasantly surprised if some guys are ahead of schedule. I think that's the best way to approach it um, as a supporter. But uh, just know that, you know, as a development group and a coaching group, we're going to try and set everyone up to succeed. That's our... That's our aim and that's what we need to do. That's our responsibility. So we want to try and set them up the right way to succeed and be long-term players for the club and not, and not guys that are in and out of the team all the time. All right. So Caleb Poulter, 40 touches round one. Can't wait. <laughs> I'm glad you interpreted it that way. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, we were, we were joking before we went on air that um, one of the coaches from last year, I think it was one of the Selwood we get mixed up with the Selwoods, but said that Caleb Poulter, um, if he was any more relaxed, he'd be lying down. Yeah. And it took us back to the days of um, we thought, uh, and this is a tangent, but we thought sometimes you were misconstrued as a player, um, as a laconic style player, I yep. think probably based on your body language or, yep. or the, the way you perhaps you're running gait. But in fact, you know, I think we know as supporters that you were anything but laconic. You were incredibly committed and brave in the contest but um it's interesting isn't it how different players um can appear differently from the outside but when you're inside the club i imagine um you've got obvious obviously a much better insight into um what they're offering on the track yeah no doubt no, it's funny i i've seen some vision of myself playing and i, I do myself think Geez, you're not you're not trying very hard but i know you know i used to go out there and, and give everything i had um and you you can be um, judged and assessed on um, looking laconic at times. And, um, yeah, I know that that's not the case with a lot of players. or In fact, almost every player, they're out there trying. You wouldn't be there if you weren't. Um, but, again, it's, you know, it's something that I think over time you just try and develop with your young guys and the way they carry themselves. And um, It's even things like your ability to communicate on field. Oh, I think you can look as laconic as you want to, but... If you're out there communicating and, and giving direction, um, that just demonstrates your investment care as well. So there's a number of layers um, that we'll keep working with with those young guys. But yeah, Pulse is. Um, I have had to check in for a Pulse a couple of times. Pulse, he's pretty um, he's pretty <laughs> relaxed, but I can tell you when he's out on the track, he, he trains like a maniac, and that's the sort of standard we want from him. All the makings of a cult hero to come. Um, so we're just drawing to a close here. A couple more questions, Fraser, and thanks for thanks for being so generous with your time. Um, we noticed that Craig McRae, he's not the loudest figurehead. Um, he's not a big kind of loud, bombastic type. What is the dynamic been that you've noticed within the new coaching group? I mean, as Collingwood supporters, we're just getting our head around what these different personalities offer when we talk about McRae, Lepich, Brendan Bolton. What's it been like working with them thus far? Oh, it's been great from my point of view, um, yeah, getting to work with a new coaching group. And as I said earlier, they've all got a different skill set that they bring to the table. Um, but again, Craig's probably, he's probably another one who, you know, I guess people don't consider him that 
demonstrative um, type of coach, but he's very strong in the way he communicates, and he doesn't leave um, he doesn't leave anything to chance in a sense of, of lack of clarity. So he's really impressed me in that way, and he's also got that ability to be more softly spoken at the right times and, and connect with the players on different levels. So um, yeah, he, he's been outstanding, and you know, obviously Lepers. Um, had a lot of success as an assistant coach and he's coached the AFL team in his own right so he brings great experience and his knowledge and the way he teaches team defence has been really uh, impressive and I just as I said I think there's a a really strong skill set across the board where the coaches complement each other and um, I think the players have seen a real shift in in terms of what's required in in this new program that Craig set up It's really exciting and before we before we wrap up, Josh, uh, I guess final question is: You guys had your last training session on Friday um, before the Christmas break. What does what does Christmas look like for the Frasers? Are you going to take some time off? Are you going to get away? Is there some coaching that's going to occur uh, across the break before you guys come back? What does that look like for you? Yeah, we'll try and have a, a decent rest. I think um, it's been a pretty intense sort of six or so weeks and. Rightly so. I mean, we wanted to hit the ground running and, and give the players um, all the information they need to make sure we're better heading into the break. So um, we'll have a, in terms of my situation, we'll have a bit of a break, although we will stay in contact with our with our players and just check in with them to make sure they're going okay. And if they need anything from our end, so we'll keep that connection up. But um, yeah, other than that, really low key and um, try and recharge the batteries because once you get back into it um, early Jan, then you're pretty much on that treadmill right through to the end of the season and um, you want to be your best for the players when you get back. So looking forward to, a, as I say, a bit of downtime, but I'm, I'm really looking forward already to get back into it um, early Jan and um, yeah, keep that improvement with the playing group going. Fraser, you might be jumping the gun here, but the way you articulate your, your ideas around coaching and the experience you've had in several different environments leads us to think that you might be foxing down the track for a, a senior coaching role in the AFL yourself. Would that be fair? Um, yeah, I've gone back and forth on sort of the direction I want to head. Um, I will say I've loved coaching my own side over the journey and I've done that since I started coaching and finished playing and this would be the first year I actually haven't coached my own team. So it's a different challenge for me, but one I think will that will help me moving forward. Um I've always had that philosophy that you just try and become the absolute best coach you can and be ready if and when an opportunity comes. And there's no guarantees one will come, but um, I wouldn't be bold enough to sit here and say I want to be an AFL senior coach, but I would like to make sure I'm preparing myself um, the best I can for any opportunity that does come up down the track. And, yeah, I have got that drive around, um, you know, certainly winning and... (laughs) bringing a team together at different times. I really enjoy that challenge as well. I feel like there could be a, a bit of a succession thing coming on here. We, we love a good succession plan at Collingwood. <laughs> yeah, we're good at those. <laughs> Josh, <laughs> it's, um, it's, it's, been a, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on today. Thank you for uh, taking some time out. We know you're officially off, off duties at the moment, but just really good for uh, our listeners and Collingwood fans to hear from you. You're, you're a favourite son. We love it when... A favourite son comes back. It feels, you know, feels like a true articulation of, of family. We can't wait for next year. We our expectations are tempered somewhat by the 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 demo of our list, but 
I think just having, you know, the coaching group in place, some some fresh thinking, some new ideas and just that that buzz that seems to be uh, reverberating around um, the Holden Centre. Uh, we've got some new chicken sponsors on board. It just, it feels, it feels good. It feels like a moment <laughs> in time. And uh, yeah, we're, we're very grateful of you coming on. We hope you have a very uh, fun and enjoyable Christmas. And uh, we can't wait to see you get stuck into the season proper next year. So thank you so much, mate. It's been it's been amazing. No, absolute pleasure. Thanks very much for having me on. Um, I appreciate you guys reaching out. And um, yeah, it's, it will be an exciting journey. So I just encourage all supporters to try and enjoy that journey um, as much as they can, even in at times the losses and what appears to be a lack of progress, which does happen from time to time. You'll still be able to see. A lot of uh, a lot of hope and a lot of bright spots. So keep searching for those. And um, yeah, just want to wish all the, the Magpie Army a happy and safe Christmas. And look forward to seeing everyone at the footy uh, next year. Okay, guys. So. Um Thank you very much for listening to Pie Hard this year. Uh, it's been a huge year for us personally. We've uh, we've seen a lot of growth. Um, we're now the official Collingwood podcast in five countries, which is mental. I think Including it's, Uzbekistan. Those in uh, Iceland, shout out. Um, but, you know, we've had a lot of fun doing this. We are going to be back next year with more interviews, more of the uh, classic Pie Hard takes and it's funny, Damo, I was reflecting the other day that it's been a real journey since but 2019, I think we debuted Pie Hard. And in stock market terms, you're meant to buy the dip and then enjoy the, the run up, the good times. I'm pretty sure we bought the high of the 2018 mm. grand final appearance. And then mm. the prospects of the team plummeted briskly thereafter, but we've, we've ridden it out. We feel like we've reached, I think we've reached a major low and we're bouncing back um, with a new team, a new club and a new season for Pie Hard to come. I just can't wait. Yeah, I, I've always thought that we do our best work when the club is underperforming. So look, if that, <laughs> if the fortunes of the club do dip next year, you can bet that Pie Hard's gonna be, um, gonna be a, a big pumping strong stock. So if you've, got a, if you've got a bit of money squirreled aside, you're thinking of Bitcoin, you're thinking of crypto, yeah. Chuck five chuck five grand on pie hard. You, you never know. Yeah, BSB and account number in the caption. <laughs> okay, everyone. Um, thanks for a colossal 2021. Mm-hmm. We'll be back next year with, with more of the same. More pointless storytelling. More Vic Parks Bar. More chicken. <laughs> okay, ladies and gentlemen, have a wonderful Christmas. Uh, we'll see you next year. This one goes out to Josh Fraser and all the Josh Fraser's tragics out there. This is Pie Hard. Almost heaven. West Virginia, Blue Ridge Mountains, Shenandoah River. Life is older, older than the trees, younger than the mountains, growing like a breeze, country.